Good morning. Our scripture today comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. I was very excited to preach this. I have been excited for months. I made very sure that I get to preach this. Um, Told Matthew I was unavailable for every other day until the schedule said I could preach this day. Then I became available for others also. Not really, but I'm grateful that I can preach. If you're like me, I wonder if you like a good court drama story. Um, There's nothing like the unexpected twists that can happen in court where you think it's going one way and then there's one witness that walks up and everything changes because of that one witness. Now, as many of you know, I'm a, I'm a forensic scientist, and I am in court quite often. And a while ago, I was in court one day where a pretty serious case, a murder case, and the prosecution was still putting on their case. And during their case, they called a witness, uh, a DNA examiner, a expert witness was called to the stand, and that examiner testified about a DNA profile that they found on a hair that was found on the victim's body. And so the prosecutor asked, so how unique is this DNA profile? What does this mean? You found this DNA profile on a hair on the victim's body, but how how unique is this? And so the DNA scientist said this, statistically, this profile would be seen in one out of every 7.3 billion people. That means that this DNA profile would be found once in the entire population of Earth. Silence. The, this is overwhelming evidence, and you could feel the weight of this. What they just said is that A DNA profile that was found on the victim belonged to one person on earth, to the suspect who sat right there. And so you could just feel this is evidence that overshadows everything that the defense is going to put up. In our passage this morning, Paul is doing exactly that. Remember the issue here. There were false teachers trying to say and convince the Colossian Christians that Jesus is not supreme or sufficient. 
They said because the universe was filled with spiritual powers of various sorts, ultimate spiritual fullness, you're going to hear that fullness thing later again today, could only be achieved by taking all of these spirits into consideration. They proclaimed that the gospel was not enough, not sufficient to save and to change and to sustain. And they were spreading a heresy about who Christ is. And like that DNA expert who came and presented overwhelming evidence, what John read here this morning is overwhelming evidence to the contrary of what these people were saying. And what is that evidence? What is the argument that Paul brought? It's very simple, that Jesus Christ in everything is preeminent. What does that mean, preeminent? It means that in everything Jesus is supreme over, superior to, he has dominion and authority over, he is before, he is above all, and he is sufficient in all. That is, whew, yeah, I feel the same. That is what Paul is bringing to them. And so if you look at these six verses, it's only six verses this morning. Here's what's interesting. You will see how Christ-infused these six verses are. When you look at the word him, he or himself is in there 13 times. And we also see that the words all things and everything is in there six times. And so there's no doubt about Paul's intention to make the centrality and the supremacy of Christ over all things the central theme in his response to these false teachers. Douglas Moo, who wrote a commentary on Colossians, described this passage, these six verses. He said this is the Christological high point, not only of Colossians, but of the entire New Testament. What that means is he is saying for him, there is no passage in the New Testament that is clearer on the person and the nature and the role of Christ. Can you imagine why I want to preach it? And so as we launch into our passage this morning, we see Paul place particular emphasis on the centrality and the supremacy of Jesus Christ over creation and the church and redemption. And so even though I'm going to preach this pretty much verse by verse, we will see two main points emerge naturally, Christ supreme over creation and Christ supreme over the church and redemption. So it starts in verse 15, and we see Paul launch in immediately into this passage, and he does not tiptoe into this passage. He comes in with guns blazing. 15a, he is the image of the invisible God. The image of the invisible God indicates that the very nature and the very character of God has been perfectly revealed in Jesus Christ. In him, the invisible became visible. No one has ever seen God, but through his son, Jesus Christ, he made the Father visible and known to us. So when you look to Jesus, you look to God. When you obey Jesus, you obey God. When you love Jesus, you love God. 
And so you might say, how is this different? Are we not all made in the image of God? Yes, we are. But there's a big difference here. You and I are made in the image of God. What Paul is saying here is that Jesus is the image of God. So really, he is the image in which you and I were made. And he can say that because he is God. In verse 19, we're going to get there later, but we'll jump a little bit ahead quickly. It says, for in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus not only bears God's glory, but all that God is, all of it is also in Jesus. He possesses the wisdom and the power and the spirit and the glory of God. And to say that all this divine fullness dwells in Jesus is to say that he is fully God. I really like how Hebrews says this. In Hebrews 1 verse 3, it says, He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. It's just amazing. He's the radiance of the glory of God of God and the exact imprint of his nature to which the ESV study notes reply the son is identical in substance to God being himself fully God you want to know who God is look to Jesus he's revealed to us in his scripture we can know who he is But Paul goes on with the second description of the Son. Not only is he the image of the invisible God, he is also the firstborn of creation, verse 15b. Now, we need to be careful here when we hear firstborn of all creation. This does not mean that Jesus became God when he was born. This is not what Scripture teaches. Jesus existed eternally as God. John 1.1 says this, Excellent. Or John 1, the the entire chapter. Verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the Word was God in the beginning. Then in verse 14, he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt with men. So Jesus, who was God in the beginning, became flesh when he was born. Jesus existed eternally as God. I love how the Nicene Creed talks about Jesus. He says, it says, we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. So what does it mean that Jesus is the firstborn of creation? It means simply that Jesus is preeminent in everything. He is preeminent over creation. He is supreme over it. He has dominion and authority over it. And he is above all creation. We see this metaphor in other places. In Psalm 89, verse 27, God says of David, he says, And I will appoint him to be my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. 
And so when Paul says that Jesus is the firstborn of creation, he is saying that Jesus is the most exalted over all creation. It makes me want to worship. It makes me want to sing. Jesus Christ, our Savior, is the most exalted over all creation, yet he put his affection on you and on me. He became the lowly servant, the suffering servant, who was willing to go to the cross to endure for us what we should have. The most exalted, just imagine this, the most exalted. He's not a king. He's not a president. He's far above all of that. And yet he stooped down and he came to serve us. Makes me want to rejoice. Verse 16, Paul continues to build upon this already amazing revelation that Christ is the most exalted over creation. And we see him using three specific words. And when John read it, I like it. He put emphasis on those words. It's the words by, through, and for. And verse 16 says, by him all things were created. Then it says all things were created through him and for him. So here's the thing. When you think of the creation story, when you read Genesis 1, I like the. <laughs> when you read the Genesis story of creation, do you think of God the Father creating the earth and fish and mammals and everything? And do you think of Jesus as inactive? I think we can often think of that. When we read Genesis, we just think the Father and we kind of forget about Jesus and the Holy Spirit. But Paul makes it very clear here that Jesus was not inactive in creation. In fact, Jesus was the agent of creation through whom God made the heavens and the earth. And so when verse 16 says, For by him all things were created... This is not an only passage that talks about this. There are many passages that shows this. And so what was created by Jesus? Everything. This is what it says. All things were created by him. All things on heaven and on earth. Every one of the raindrops that fall out there right now was created by Jesus. Every atom that exists that makes matter be matter was created by him. All the planets, all the oceans, all the trees, all the mosquitoes, they were all created by Jesus. And he says this includes everything visible and invisible. And then he says it includes thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities, both heavenly and earthly. And so Jesus created everything. The Greek word for everything means everything. And so when it says Jesus created everything, it means he created everything. And therefore, he is supreme over all, both the physical and the spiritual realms, because he created it all. But not only were all these things created by him and through him, they were created for him. Jesus is ultimately also the goal of the universe. 
Everything that was created was created to bring him glory. And so Paul is saying, false teachers, you who so want to be enamored with all the spirits, they exist to bring glory to Christ. He is supreme over them. He ruled over them. He made them. Do not be enamored with them. Be enamored with Jesus Christ, the supreme creator of everything. Verse 17 says, he is before all things. Unmistakably, it speaks of Christ's pre-existence. Before creation, he was there because he created what came after And in him, all things hold together. This universe, seen and unseen, holds together because of Christ. And if his his reigning, sustaining power would lift from us for just a second, everything would fall apart. So let me ask you this morning, where do you need to fight for faith to see Jesus as supreme over your life and in holding all things together in your life with all your trials and calamities and joys and sorrows? Is your marriage on rocky ground? Are you struggling with bitterness and unforgiveness? Is your health failing? Are you lacking joy in Jesus? Do you feel alone? Do you fight? Or have you even stopped fighting sexual sin? Do you feel like nobody cares? Friends, I want to, I want to encourage you this morning. Do not give up hope. Jesus is preeminent and supreme over your life. And he says that he will hold all things together. And so even in your deepest struggles, know that Christ is holding you together. I know we, what, we, what we want, what I want, is relief and changed circumstances and easy. I like easy a lot. But what we need, church, is Jesus inside our story. What we need is not so much a different story or a different outcome or for our sufferings to end. We want that badly. But what we need is the faithful Savior holding the universe together to hold us together in our struggles. How precious is it then to see That he who holds the universe is holding me, sustaining me, faithfully carrying me through life's storms. Because he is faithful. So can you rest in this? Lord, help us to rest in this. That you are facing the trials that looks like it's raining in your life. That is not really. You are facing those trials in the raining And in the sustaining hand of the supreme God. That must give us much hope that he will sustain and hold us. Verse 18 brings a shift to our passage. 
supreme over the created order. Christ is now proclaimed as supreme over the, the church, as the head of the church. Verse 18 says, he is the head of the body, the church. The Greek word here for church is ecclesia. It refers to the worldwide church. Every true believer of Christ ever. And Paul is exalting Christ as the head of that church, of every believer everywhere. And his headship is on the one hand authority over every believer In the Bible, when it talks about the head over, it often talks about authority. But further, it also talks about his headship, also talks about a close, personal, and living, organic relationship with each of us. Just as your head is the control center for the rest of your body, and the rest of your body needs your head to be where it is to live, in the same way, us as a body needs the head Christ to be fulfilled in him. Jesus is also the head of Kingsway Community Church. I cannot tell you, church, how much comfort it brings me as a pastor to say those words. Jesus Christ is the the head of Kingsway Community Church. Not Chris and Matthew and me. Thank God. As the head, we can turn to him to care for us. When we are weak, we can trust him for strength. When we suffer, we can trust him to sustain us. When people leave, we can trust him that he is the one who builds his church. He is the one who will lead people to this congregation. And he is the one who will lead people away from this congregation. When we are in need, we can trust him to supply in all our needs. He is the head of this church and we are not. I hope you find, you find joy and, and hope in that church I hope this brings you comfort because this church, like any other church, is by no means a perfect church. But what it means, if Jesus is the head of this church, it means that in this imperfect church, he can care for you and he can sustain you right here. And so we can be grateful for that. Christ is the head of his church. He is the head of our church. Why is Christ the head of the church? Acts 20 verse 28 tells us. Some of you are going like, "Uh uh-oh, that's that one again. I love this. I love this verse. Acts 20, 28. Listen, it says, pay close attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. This is a charge to pastors. And then it says, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Jesus is the head of the church because he bought the church with his own blood. He bought those people all over the world, all times, all true believers ever. He bought them with his own blood, and therefore he is their head. He is the beginning, says verse 18b, the firstborn from, from the dead. He defeated death. He defeated sin. He is victorious over death. And he is the firstborn from the dead. 
He did not just die for us, church, but he rose for us also. And his resurrection, when we look at that, it is a guarantee for you and me of our victory over death and our future resurrection to be with him forevermore. And so just as Christ was heralded as supreme over creation, he is now heralded as supreme over the church and supreme over redemption. And then we see Paul reaching the crescendo here, that in everything he might be preeminent. And as we said earlier, everything means everything. There is no place, no problem, no sin, no attitude, no sickness, no ruler, no boss, no government, no tragedy, no joy, and no war that is not under his rule, that Christ is not preeminent in. Colossians, Paul says, Kingsway, he is the ultimate supreme and sovereign ruler over your life. He's supreme over every second of your life. He's supreme over every decision you make and about every decision that somebody makes about you. He's supreme over your joys and your sorrows and your fears. He supremes over your dreams. All of it, he is preeminent over. Church, this is, this is just, this is the best news ever. That you are not alone. You're not just a little ship floating on the ocean and all these waves just toss you to and fro. Christ is holding you in his hand. He is preeminent, he's supreme over everything, every detail in your life. And you can trust him with that. And we see Paul can confidently say in everything he's preeminent. And the reason for that is verse 19, again, that says, In him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Here we are back at fullness. You're going to see this word all through Colossians. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And it's important for us to see how fullness goes through Colossians. The false teachers in Colossae proclaimed that the Christians needed more than Christ to be fulfilled. They needed other spirits to be fulfilled. They needed rituals to be fulfilled. And Paul comes in here and say, nonsense. Christ is enough. He is everything you will ever need. You will find in Christ because the fullness of God dwells in him. And just like those false teachers, you and I, in this world that we live in today, it constantly tries to persuade you that you need more than Christ, different than Christ, to be fulfilled, to be happy, to be satisfied. And again, Paul is saying that is not true. You see, we are like Philip often. On the night that Jesus was arrested... Philip made this request of Jesus. Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. It seems so noble. Show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And then Jesus' answer, 
Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Philip, you do not need anything outside of me to be able to say that will be enough for us. Philip had already right in front of him everything he needed. Right in front of him, Jesus, the all-supreme, all-preeminent, all-sufficient for all of life. And so you and I have to ask ourselves frequently and answer honestly, what am I hoping for and am I praying for outside of Jesus to make me happy? What am I asking for? What am I seeking daily to make me happy and satisfied? Is it Jesus and to know him alone? Or are there other things? Do, you tr- do I treasure Jesus above everything? Or is my satisfaction and my joy and my fulfillment wrapped up in all kinds of other things away from Jesus to be able to say that will be enough? Oh, friend, do you, like Philip, think that you need something slightly different to be satisfied with your life? That if just this one thing can change, I won't be so unhappy. I'll be fulfilled. This will be enough. And like Philip, I want to tell you that you and I have right in front of us all we need for all of life. Christ is sufficient for all. Listen to the psalmist, Psalm 107, verse 9. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good. Psalm 16, verse 11. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Christian, Jesus alone can satisfy your longing soul. Jesus alone can give you fullness of joy. And Jesus alone can give you pleasures forevermore. So turn to him. Ask him to satisfy you. Not with stuff. Not with getting your way. Not with getting your demands met. Not with getting your idea of what life should be like, but ask him to satisfy you with him. And then study God's word. Chris Chris talked about this last week. I'll emphasize this. God's word is where he reveals Christ to us. Read that and ask him as I read this, will you please satisfy me with yourself? Make coming to church a priority so that you can hear the word of God preached so that this will be enough. Talk with your friends about Christ so that he can be formed in you and then he can be all that you need to be joyful and fulfilled. Pursue Christ, church, above all in any way that you can, 
He is enough to satisfy to the fullest. Brings us to the last two verses. Don't think I'm done preaching. The last two verses we see again in, through, and for. Like we saw in verse 16. Verse 19 and 20 says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In speaking about reconciling all things to Christ, Paul once again purposes to show what he has shown over and over now, the supremacy and the lordship and the centrality of Christ over all of creation, seen and unseen. Though this world was made through him and for him and was perfect, when Adam sinned and sin entered into this world, all things no longer were in the relationship with their creator than what they were purposed to be. Sin brought an abrupt disharmony between God and creation, and therefore all things need to be reconciled to God. And here's one of those places where we find the already and the not yet that we always often see in, in the Bible. This reconciliation of all things already happened on the cross. It already happened. But the final fulfillment of this has not been seen. But it is coming. I'll read it to you. Revelations 21 verse 3. 1, 2, 3. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. This is all things reconciled to God finally. And if you're a Christian, you will be in that new Jerusalem. Where else will this testimony from Paul this testimony of Christ's sufficiency and supremacy and preeminence find its final climax. Where else than at the cross? The cross that stands in the center of Christ's redemptive work. And naturally, Paul lands here. Jesus is supreme over creation. He is supreme over his church. He is also supreme over redemption. And so we read at the end of Verse 20, making peace by the blood of his cross. Why peace? Romans 1 verse 18 tells us that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppresses the truth. The righteous wrath of God stands against every man because every man has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
And unlike what many people think, we cannot be reconciled to God by living moral lives and doing the right things. And so we stand in opposition to God and under His wrath. We are sinful and He is holy. And so every man ever created stands in that wrath, in opposition to God. And so you see, Jesus made peace for us when he willingly and innocently went to the cross. And when on that cross, he took our sins upon himself. And when he bore the punishment for those sins, when he completely exhausted, quenched the fury of God, the righteous wrath of God, And now, peace with God is possible because of that work. Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we move from hostility to God under the wrath of God to peace with God? By faith. If you believe what Christ accomplished for you on the cross by the blood, his blood, on his cross, and if you repent of your sins and you turn away from them to follow Christ, then he will forgive your sins on Christ's behalf. He will adopt you as his child and you will move from darkness to light from hostility to peace at that moment. Have you done that? Have you done that, friend? Have you placed your faith in Christ? Have you repented of your sin and have you turned away from living for yourself to living for Christ? If you have not, today Christ is calling you. You can leave this place not under the wrath of God, but reconciled with God, at peace with God. I beg you, if you know this is you that I'm talking about right now, do not leave this morning. The opportunity is here for you to be at peace with God. Come talk with me. Come talk with, if if you know a faithful Christian who brought you, talk with them. Come talk with me. We would love to talk to you and tell you more about who this amazing Jesus Christ is. The DNA evidence in that court case that day totally eclipsed all contradicting evidence. What Paul did in these six verses today, and of course we can preach this seven years and not get to the bottom of all the truth in this, but in those six verses he totally eclipses the lies of the false teachers in Colossae and all of the world that screams different at us today. You need more than Christ. If only you use this product, if only you drive this car, if only you live in this address, if only you do this, what we need is none of that. What we need is Christ to be formed in us. And so Paul eclipses their lies by showing them Jesus is supreme. He externally, ex- eternally existed as God the Son. 
He was the agent of creation. He sovereignly upholds everything. He is the supreme head of the church. He is reconciling everything to himself. And he is supreme over redemption. You do not need anything else. Colossians, you don't need other spirits. You don't need to obey all kinds of laws. All you need is Christ and him crucified. I pray that the Lord will help us, church, to believe that. That tomorrow, this afternoon when we walk out here, and tomorrow when we live, and we are enticed to think if only this one thing outside of Christ will satisfy me, that we will remember it will not. It will do it temporarily. It's a lie. It will not satisfy us. And we will run back to Christ and say, Jesus, will you satisfy me with you? That's what we need. Amen. Ask the worship team to come up. We are, we cannot stop here with this sermon and not go right into communion church. What we've seen here is amazing news. That by the blood of his cross, Jesus made peace for each one of us. Jesus said in John 10 verse 17. For this reason the father loves me. Because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. It's a mystery to us, church, that Jesus willingly laid down his life for us. He willingly went to the cross for us, so that when we turn to him, when we place our faith in him, we can be at peace with him. We can have eternal life. The good news in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20 is this. It says, but, Christ in f- but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. What Christ offers for us through his cross is peace eternally. It's resurrection in the presence of God eternally. You will have peace like you have never known that day when we see him face to face. And so church, what we celebrate when we celebrate communion together is exactly that. We celebrate that Christ's body was broken on that cross and that his blood flowed for us. And by doing that, he made peace for us with the Father. He reconciled us to the Father. And so if you're a Christian, I ask you when, when the ushers come forward to distribute the elements, to take some of that and to hold it, and we're going to partake together If you are not a Christian, I'll ask that you don't participate in this. 
I will pray rather that you ask Christ to reveal himself to you, that you can be at peace with him also.